Father God in heaven, we thank you so much for bringing us here this day and to study your word and especially the topic of the sanctuary and the message of the sanctuary, Father. And we pray that you'll help us, that you'll lead us and guide us and open up our minds that we may understand the deep truths of thy word and that we may apply it to our lives and live according to your will. Father, we look forward to the soon coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I pray that through this study will help us to be ready when you come again in your clouds of glory. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have ever had a time when your mother baked something sweet, like cookies or pie, right? Now, she places that in the refrigerator and she says, don't touch it. What is, what's in your mind? I got to get those cookies. I got to touch it, right? Now, suppose that your mom said, here's that pie and I just made it and I don't want you to touch it, right? And then it goes on to say, she says, uh, you're saying to yourself, it looks so good and your body is compelled to agree with you, all right? But then, you think you got it all figured out, and there's just, you're just about to make contact with that pie or those cookies, and all of a sudden you hear the footsteps behind you of your mother. What's in your mind? Busted. Busted. At that moment in time, do you want your mother there? No. No. And that's exactly what sin is. Sin is that that drives us to the point that we do not want God there. So what did God do? He came up with the sanctuary to solve the great problem of sin because ultimately God wants to be with us. Amen. Good morning. God wants to be with us. He wants to be in contact with us, to have a relationship with us face to face. But sin does something. Sin separates us from having that face-to-face communion with God. Now, I have to tell you right from the beginning, my intent is not to go over the sanctuary as far as the furniture and the symbolism. And believe me, you need to do a study of that, but this class is not gonna be on that, and you will truly be blessed by studying the symbols of the sanctuary because it is ultimately the illustrated plan of salvation. But there's a message that God is bringing to us in the sanctuary that we need to understand And we're going to be dealing particularly with the 2300 days in the investigative judgment and what we need to do to prepare for the second coming of Jesus. When our prince stands up and the judgment complete, where will we be found and will we be ready? That's really what we're going to ask. So 1844 in the Great Advent Movement, it was a very, very interesting time. And we find a quote in Great Controversy, page 488. It says, the subject of the sanctuary Can everybody see? The subject of the sanctuary and the investigative judgment should be clearly understood by the people of God. How many? All. What? Need a knowledge for themselves of the position and work of their great high priest. All need an understanding of this this time period. Otherwise, it will be impossible for them to exercise the faith which is essential at this time or to occupy the position which God designs them to fill. Every individual has a soul to save or to lose and each has a case pending at the bar of God. And we're gonna be we're gonna be touching on this a lot more in this class. All right, turn with me if you would to Revelation chapter ten. Revelation chapter ten.
Now I'm going to be dealing in a later session, Revelation chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. But let's take a look at verse 10. It says, And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth, what? Sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. There was no SDA church at this time in 1844. There was a worldwide movement, and the second coming of Jesus was based on Daniel 8.14. That's what this movement in 1844 was about. On the 2300 days shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And they thought Jesus was coming in 1844. All right? And Councils for the Churches, page 347, says the correct understanding of the menstruation in this heavenly sanctuary is the foundation of our faith. What is the foundation of our faith? Correctly understanding the ministry of the heavenly sanctuary. Okay? And the book, Acts of the Apostles, page 14, it says, Through the teachings of the sacrificial service, Christ was to be what? Uplifted before all nations. And who would look to him should live. Christ was the foundation of the Jewish economy, and the whole system of types and symbols was a compacted prophecy of the gospel. What was it? A compacted prophecy of the gospel, a presentation in which were bound up the promises of redemption. Jesus, throughout his entire ministry, if you read the gospels and listen to the words that Jesus was saying, he was always, always trying to recall the people's minds to the sanctuary and to his mission. As soon as he was baptized, what did he say? Behold, the time is at hand. He was referring to the time the pro time prophecies in Daniel chapter 8 and chapter 9. And when, Jesus, when, when, Paul, when Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? And Jesus said, 70 times 7. Now, how many of you are mathematicians here? 490. He was referring to the 490 years of probation that was given to the Jewish nation. You follow me? He was always trying to recall their minds. To this, to this time period. In Great Controversy, page 423, it says, the subject of the sanctuary was the what? You're all sleeping still? You had a big breakfast, didn't you? <laughs> it was the key which unlocked the mystery of the disappointment of 1844. And this is exactly what took place. They were, they, these people were studying their Bibles. They knew their word. They misunderstood some of the applications to it, but when they realized and understood about the sanctuary, it all came clear. It all opened up to them. It says it opened to view a complete system of truth. What kind of system? This is very, very important to understand because as Seventh-day Adventists, our message is based upon the sanctuary. And our message is a complete system of truth. And it goes on to say, in connected and harmonious, showing that God's hand had directed the great Advent movement and revealing present duty is brought to light to position and work of his people. What was it doing? It was also not only revealing the complete system of truth, but it was revealing the work and position of his people. Friends, we are his people, and we have a very distinct message that we need to carry to the world, and we're going to touch on that later as well. So what is this work and investigation for us today? What is it all about? Well, Great Controversy, page 488. Especially pay attention to these words. I mean, I have children pretty much that ranges about all the age group here, and it's really important even for all of us. It says, Satan invents how much? Unnumbered schemes to occupy our minds that we may not dwell upon the very work with which we ought to be best. 
acquainted. How much does the devil invent? Unnumbered. You know, so often we find ourselves, how many of you find yourselves getting caught up in, in hobbies or, or recreational things? Too much TV, I see one hand go up. Too much radio, too much music. Too much of anything is not good, right? The devil uses these things and calculates them to occupy your mind. The things that you should be dwelling upon is Christ and what he's doing in the heavenly sanctuary. And it goes on to say, the arch deceiver hates the great truths that bring to view an atoning sacrifice and an all-powerful mediator. Why? Because he knows that with him, everything depends upon his diverting the minds from Jesus and his truth. We cannot, in this time and for this age, have our minds diverted from his word and his, from his truth. And the devil will do whatever he can to divert us from focusing on what Christ is doing in the heavenly sanctuary and what we as Seventh-day Adventists need to be doing in our relationship with him. It continues to say, those who would share the benefits of the Savior's mediation should per permit how much? Nothing. Nothing to interfere with their duty to perfect holiness and the fear of God. So what are we supposed to be doing? Share, guys. You, you follow what he's saying there. Perfect holiness and the fear of God. And I have a session called the, the Mystery of God, and we're going to be talking about perfecting the holiness in the fear of God later on. And the hours, instead of being given to pleasure, to display, or to gain seeking, should be devoted to an earnest, prayerful study of the Word of God. Friends, we need to have a heart-searching, moving relationship with God every single day. The minute that we get out of our bed, we should be reconsecrating ourselves that day, recommitting ourselves to God every single day and in the study of his word. It goes on to say, the subject of the sanctuary and the investigative judgment should be clearly understood by the people of God. And friends, I pray that God will lead you to have a better understanding of the sanctuary in the 2300 days and the investigative judgment before you leave here this weekend. All need a knowledge for themselves of the position and work of their great high priest. Why? Why? Look at what she says. Otherwise, it will be impossible for them to exercise the faith, which is essential at this time. If you're not studying your Bibles, if you're not understanding the sanctuary message and the investigative judgment and what you need to do, it will be impossible for you to have faith that you need at this time to get you through. And she even had, there's another quote that she says, when Jesus returns, many people are thinking that they're going to have time to nurture and cultivate the faith, but it will be impossible for them to do it or for them to go through the tribulation because it will be too late. Now is your time to make your relationship with Christ. Now is your time to form that relationship with him. All right, and she goes on to say, or to occupy the position which God decides them to fill, every individual has a soul to save or lose. Each has a case pending at the bar of God. Each must meet the great judge face to face. How important then that every mind contemplate often the solemn scene when the judgment shall sit and the book shall be opened, when with Daniel every individual must stand in his lot at the end of days. All who have received the light upon these subjects are to bear testimony of the great truths which God has committed to them. 
The sanctuary in heaven is the very center of Christ's work in behalf of men. It concerns every soul living upon the earth. It opens to view the plan of redemption, bringing us down to the very close of time and revealing the triumphant issue of the contest between righteousness and sin. It is of the utmost importance that all should thoroughly investigate these subjects and be able to give an answer to everyone that asks them a reason of the hope that is in them. The hope that is in them. Through the sanctuary message, God wants to awaken up hope in his people and, under, and his, the understanding of his will. The intercession of Christ in man's behalf in the sanctuary above is as essential to the plan of salvation as was his death upon the cross. I have to read that again so that it sets in. The intercession of Christ is in man's behalf in the sanctuary above is as essential to the plan of salvation as was to his death upon the cross. By his death, he began that work which after his resurrection, he ascended to complete in heaven. We must by faith enter in with the veil whither the forerunner is for us ended. That's Hebrews 6.20. There the light from the cross of Calvary is reflected. There we may gain a clearer insight into the mysteries of redemption. The salvation of man is accomplished at an infinite expense to heaven. The sacrifice made is equal to the broadest demands of the broken law of God. Jesus has opened the way to the Father's throne, and through his mediation the sincere desire of all come to him in faith may be presented before God. We're going to cover that later. Though all nations are passed in judgment before God, yet he will examine the case of each individual with a close and searching scrutiny as if there were not another being upon the earth. Everyone must be tested and found without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. The question I have to ask you is who are the people of God? Who are the people of God? Everyone. Right? Aren't the other people in other churches the people of God? So what does the Bible say about the people of God? Jesus even says in John chapter 10, verse 16, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Okay? And there are others that are in the, these other churches today that are part of the fold that need to hear his voice. All right? And would it not make sense that these people that are not yet part of his fold that are in other churches need to know the message of the sanctuary? Do you know that this is happening today? That people in other churches are studying the message of the sanctuary? All right? And perhaps you're saying, well, what is it so important about all of this that is, what's the big deal about the sanctuary, right? That's, that's the title of my sermon today. Well, not my sermon, my message is what is so important about the sanctuary, right? So many people are, 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 are saying that. But look at it this way. These other churches are starting to study the sanctuary. And in 1844, we had a movement among the people of God over the same thing. The study of the sanctuary. In Daniel 8, 14, when they, stu when they studied this and they saw this, on the 2300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed, they started studying their Bibles more earnestly, more sincere, more deep. And in 1844, Jesus moved from the holy place to the most holy place, and people's attentions was moved to the sanctuary. They thought that the earth was going to be destroyed and cleansed by a fire, but the event was Jesus moving from one phase of his ministry to the next, the judgment. 
Now we have something similar taking place today with the people of God. They see that there is something significant that is going to take place because all the events that are happening around us. I mean, look at the news. There, everything that's taking place in the world today, it's telling us something is going to happen. All right? And people are seeing this and they're taking notice of this and they're starting to study their Bibles and the messages of the sanctuary again. And this time, as Jesus in 1844 moved from the holy place to the most holy place, Jesus is getting ready to move from the most holy place to come back for his people. So, we're told that all needed knowledge for themselves of the position and work of their great high priest. You know, it doesn't matter what I know. You follow me? It matters what you know about the work of Jesus, your high priest, and what he is doing on your behalf. You know, do you know Jesus? Everybody knows of Jesus. Even an atheist knows of Jesus. But do you know him? What does it mean to know him? You know your father? You know your mother? Why do you know them? You spend time with them. You interact with them. You're sharing with them every single day. There's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing them. That's right. You know, that it's forming that relationship, that bond, and that's the bond and relationship that God wants to form with us. Now, otherwise, it goes on to say in this quote, otherwise it will be impossible for them to exercise the faith which is essential at this time or to occupy the position which God designs them to fill. So this quote that we, is saying that we need the knowledge of the work or it will be impossible for what? It will be impossible for us to have the faith to exercise at this time. All right? And each one of us has a unique position to fill that only you can fill which God has designed. Now do you see why it's so important about the sanctuary? You will not be able to do it without the knowledge of the sanctuary. Amen? Every individual has a soul to save or to lose. The subject of the sanctuary is one that we need to know and understand that we may occupy the position that God has designed us to fill. The study of the subject is so important because it will help us build the faith Help us to build what? The faith. the faith we need for such a time as this. Jesus is coming soon. How much longer do you really think that we have? Have you ever thought about that? How much time do we really have? Who do you think there is that would want to stop the important message from becoming heard? Who do you think it would be? Satan. Right? It's the work of the devil. Look at Testimonies of Ministers and Gospel Workers, page 472. As the people of God approach the perils of the last days, who? Satan holds earnest consultation with his angels as the most successful plan of overthrowing their faith. He sees that the popular churches are already lulled to sleep by his deceptive power. By pleasing sophistry and lying wonders, he can continue to hold them under his control. Therefore, he directs his angels to play their snares, especially lay their snares, especially for those who are looking for the second advent of Christ and endeavoring to keep all his commandments. Who do you think that the devil is trying to attack? 
us. You know that there is no other church in the world that is preaching this message. None. And it's a unique message. And the devil doesn't want it to be heard because he knows if it's heard, hearts will change and he will be unmasked and revealed as the liar that he is. And do you see the plan that he's laying out? That he's laying every snare, every deception possible that he can to keep us from maintaining and nurturing the faith that we need to occupy the position that God has for us to fill. He wants to keep everyone from studying the sanctuary, even you, even you. We're told that Satan invents innumerable schemes to occupy our minds that we may not dwell upon the very work with which we ought to be best acquainted. So what does he do? He cannot deny the cross, can he? Right? So he has the churches saying, well, bring everybody to the cross. Right? But that is where he, he tries to, to get everybody to slip up. Now, if you look at the sanctuary, wh- what do you see? It's not a good picture. This is what represents the cross here. Right? But you see that there's still more of the sanctuary that takes place. There's more pieces to the puzzle. All right? The sanctuary is a time prophecy and a parable. When you look at the sanctuary, you can see that it, is begin- it has a beginning and an end. And let me do this. How many of you have ever studied the sanctuary before? Praise God. I should have had somebody come up here and draw it for me. Right. Really quick overview of the sanctuary. This is what represents the cross, right? And you can see that there's more that takes place here. And you can see that there's a beginning to the sanctuary and that there's an end, correct? All right? Everybody's following me so far. All right, the earthly sanctuary was a parable of salvation. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 8 and 9. The sanctuary itself is like a mini time prophecy. All the festivals pointed to a specific phase in the salvation of man and the restoration of all things. You can literally follow the footsteps of Christ through the sanctuary. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 8 and 9. It reads, The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. So while the... While the in the New Testament Greek, there's only one place that, would, that should be translated holiest of all, and that is Hebrews 9, verse 3. Every other place in the New Testament, primarily in the book of Hebrews, that deals with the sanctuary is the Greek word Haggai, which means holy places. You got that? Holy places. And there's only one place that says holies of holies, and that is Hebrews 9, verse 3. Now, a lot of people get off track because they read and say, look, here it is. It says the holiest of all, but it is not what the original says. You follow me? All right. Basically, what Paul is saying here is that the way into the heavenly sanctuary was not yet open while the earthly sanctuary was standing. 
while the priestly ministry was still officiating on earth. In verse 9, the Greek word there, figure, which was a figure for the time then present, is actually translated parable or parable. And what is a parable? A story that illustrates. The sanctuary itself is an illustration of the plan of salvation. The earthly sanctuary was the, a parable of salvation. You follow me? So it's very important. How many of you want to be saved? All right. So how, how important do you think it is that you should understand the plan of salvation? Right? That's what's so important about it. The study of the sanctuary is teaching us how to be saved. What God is doing for us on our behalf. Do you realize that there's nothing that you can do to save yourself? Nothing. Jesus Christ has done everything. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the one that, that sends the Holy Spirit and, and washes us and renews us. He's the one, he is the bread of life. He is the intercessor that stands before the throne. He is the light of the world. And he is our mediator and our judge, our great high priest. So Christ does everything. And he's the one that's coming back to receive, to receive his people. All right? Now the sanctuary has two centers. If you were to actually draw the sanctuary out, the centers would kind of interlay like this. And you notice something? Do you notice that? Where are the two centers at? The altar of sacrifice and the Ark of the Covenant. What is God illustrating here? <laughs> All right. All right. Through the sanctuary, it has services, and God has revealed the whole plan of redemption from the beginning to the end. This diagram illustrates the twofold work of Christ as our high priest. Christ is the reality of the sanctuary. You follow me? Exodus 25.8 says, Build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Christ's sacrifice on the cross is just as important as his ministry in a holy place for us today. And we will be fleshing this out later on in this series. All right. In the earthly, earthly mission, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 5.7. 1 Corinthians 5.7. In his earthly ministry, it's represented by the eastern square of the sanctuary, the courtyard. Christ obtained salvation full and complete for the entire human race. You follow me? But then in the western square, it reveals Christ's priestly ministry in the heavenly sanctuary. The power to live right is what we're shown through this. And through the sanctuary and its services, God has revealed the whole plan of redemption from beginning to end. The diagram below here illustrates the twofold work of Christ as our Savior and priest. Christ's sacrifice on the cross is just as important as his ministry in, in the sanctuary. And the only thing that I'll tell you about the furniture is the grate where you would place the sacrifice on. The height of that is the same height of the mercy seat in the most holy place, showing that his justice is as great as his mercy. Amen? So why the sanctuary? Turn with me to Exodus 25, verse 8. Exodus 25 and verse 8. Exodus 25, verse 8 says, um, 
fulfill them. What? And let them make me a sanctuary that I what? Dwell among them. And go with me over to Psalm 77.13. Some of these you should have already committed to memory. What does Psalm 77.13 say? Thy way, O Lord, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God is our God. All right, I want to show you something very interesting. Whose way is in the sanctuary? God's way is in the sanctuary, right? You follow me? Now let's go to Psalm 18. Psalms chapter 18. And we're going to be reading in verse 30 through 32. It says, as for God, his way is perfect. You notice what it says. Whose way is perfect? The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. For who is God save the Lord? Or who is a rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. You follow this. Whose way? What is God's way? God's way is in the sanctuary. And God's way is perfect. And what does he do with us? He makes our way perfect. And if you would jump over to John 14, verse 6, you'll see a New Testament verse for Psalm 77, 13. John 14, verse 6. And Jesus said unto them, him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, man cometh unto the Father but by me. So whose way? Jesus. You'll notice that there are three entrances in the sanctuary. Right? You see them? One, two, three. You got it? All right. The gate is the first door that leads to the way. Jesus says, I am the gate. Right? The door that leads to truth is the second, is the second door. Jesus says, I am the door. And life is the veil that leads to the most holy place. Jesus is every single step of the way. We need to come to Christ and follow him step by step through the sanctuary, that we may accept him as our savior, that we may be baptized, that we may live a life in Christ as he's working out his salvation through us, through the, whole, the ministry in the holy place, and that we will be ready for a translation because of the ministry of Christ in the most holy place. So in the beginning of the Bible, we see in Genesis 1.26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they lost something. The sinless pair wore no artificial garments. This is from Patriarchs and Prophets. They were clothed with a covering of light and glory, such as the angels wear, so long as they lived in obedience. To what? As long as they lived in obedience to God, this robe of light continued to enshroud them. It's Patriarchs and Prophets, page 45. Now, when they sinned, they lost something. What was it? The covering of light. They lost his character and tried to replace it with fig leaves. Did it work? 
Did it? So when God came, he gave them robes of what? In Genesis 3.21, it says, And on to Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins. Coats of what? Skins and clothe them. That lamb represented Christ. And in the Garden of Eden, God laid down the plan of salvation for them that they would understand that their sin would ultimately cause the death of their God, the one who created them in his image and in his likeness. And when God clothed them in the skins, he was promising them that he was going to give them his character again. And in the beginning, God was trying to open our eyes to something that he was going to do for mankind. Can you fix the problem? Can you fix the problem that you're in? No, it's only through Christ Jesus. And when Moses, when God spoke the Ten Commandments to Moses, and he writes them on the stone and gave them to Moses, and Moses comes down, and what does he hear in the camp? What did he hear in the camp? They were dancing and partying around the calf, right? And what did Moses do? Broke the stones. And then what did God tell him to do? What was that stone a representation of? God's character. The very foundation of heaven, which was challenged by the devil. And it was broken. In the Garden of Eden, what happened when they sinned? They broke it. They broke something. And God had to fix it. And again, at, at Mount Sinai, they broke their covenant with God, and God fixed it. You see, that's what God is doing through the sanctuary. He had a problem. How do I separate sin from the sinner so that I don't save the sinner in sin, but that I save the person from out of sin, the sinner from out of sin? And it was through the sanctuary that he was illustrating how he was going to separate sin from the sinner and ultimately restore Eden back to its glory. So what is this new covenant? The new and the old covenant. You know, I do Bible studies, so, and as I go out, I, I hear a lot of this, with, with especially with evangelicals, is, well, I'm a new covenant Christian. I say, well, praise God, so am I. And I say, let's go to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, and verse 10. As a matter of fact, we could begin reading right at verse, verse 1 so you get the whole context here. Hebrews chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Now these things which we have spoken, this is the sum. So now he's going to sum up everything that he's just been speaking from chapters 1 through, through 7. We have such an high priest who is set at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. Speaking of Jesus. For if it were of earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant, talking about Mount Sinai, 
had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judea, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in that day, when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant and regarded them not, saith the Lord. And what does he say? For this is the, new co this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws where? In their hearts and, I will, and on their minds and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the, to the greatest. Why will they know him? Because his law is written in their hearts and they're doing the will of God. And what was lost, what was lost will be replaced in our hearts is what God is promising us through the sanctuary. And when God writes them in, their, in your heart, it becomes a part of who you are. Amen? And that's what it's all about. And you know, the, what's interesting about the sanctuary is it does teach of two temples. All right? We know that Jesus visited the temple of Herod in John chapter 2. And what did he call that temple? When he cleansed the temple, what did he do? It is written, right? that my father's house shall not be a, should be a house of prayer and not a den of thieves, right? So he called the first temple his father's house. And in John 14, 1, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Is that not what he says? The sanctuary is God's house. In Jeremiah 17, 12, it tells us that God's throne is in heaven. Now, isn't the sanctuary designed to separate sin from the sinner, some people say? You know, so how is it that God's sanctuary is in heaven, Right? Well, turn with me to Isaiah 66, 23. Isaiah 66, 23. Isaiah 66, 23. And it reads, And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. What are we going to be doing? Worshiping the Lord. Do you think that it changed? Do you think things are different in heaven? Then, as they will be when we, when we go back to heaven? Do you think the angels were worshiping God from one Sabbath to the next in heaven before God created the earth? Do you think that it, we're going to be doing it at the, at, the, at the end as well? Right? And where do you think we're going to be going? All right. We shall be learning throughout eternity, and God is going to be our teacher. Do you think that the angels know everything? We're told that the angels are looking to search the deep things of the plan of salvation. Exodus 25, 8 tells us, Let them build a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Ezekiel 28 speaks about what and why Lucifer was created. And you know what? Lucifer was created to be a house of God, that God's character would dwell with him. And when he sinned, he marred the character of God in his temple. The sanctuary is so important because we're supposed to be the house of God. We need to know what our high priest is doing for us right now in the heavenly sanctuary. So John describes the sanctuary in the book of Revelation and throughout the Bible we can see that there is a heavenly sanctuary. In Psalm 102, verse 6, let's go there. You know, those like Ford and Brimesmead and, and Canwright and the like of them, this is one of their biggest arguments. Do you know that the, the, whenever there was trouble in the church, you know what it was over? 
It was over the sanctuary and the spirit of prophecy. Attacking the message and the prophet. Do you think that it would be any different today? It's the same thing. Anybody that attacks the church, they attack the sanctuary message and they attack the prophet. Because Satan wants to. Because what does he want to do? He wants to occupy our minds from the very scenes that we should be meditating upon. Psalms 102, verse 6. What does it say? One o two. Okay, I got the wrong scripture there. Then. Yeah, I do got the wrong scripture. It's a verse that talks about God's sanctuary being in heaven, Thy throne. Thank you. For he hath looked down from the height of his sanctuary. From heaven did the Lord look, the Lord behold the earth. All right? So in this verse, did they understand? I mean, there's more, but that we're not going to dwell upon this. Where was God looking down from? Heaven out of what? His sanctuary. All right? Go to Exodus 15, verse 7. Exodus 15, verse 17. says, Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. You realize that this verse is before they got to Mount Sinai, before he laid out the plans, and Moses is already talking about the sanctuary that the Lord has pitched. Where? In heaven. The Bible says that Jesus was the lamb slain from how far back? from the foundation of the world. And after they left the Garden of Eden, they would bring three their offering back to the, guard, the gates of the Garden of Eden where the angels stood with the flaming sword to make their offering there. This was and is the great plan that, shadows, that shadow, shows us how God was going to separate sin from the sinner. The sanctuary is a very important topic for us to study. And in order for us to live in these days and occupy the, the position that God wants us to fill, you need to have a knowledge for yourself. It is one thing to say that you know something, but totally different to experience it in your life. And that's what I want to challenge you with through this series, is to encounter Jesus Christ, your high priest. And through that encounter, you'll be changed, that you may see him and be like he is. At this time, I'm going to give you about, say, a five-minute break.